This year, with the pandemic still top of mind for everyone, we didn't hear much about Earth Day. It wasn't on many of the news sites I read, it didn't come up in my conversations with friends, and I saw only a few comments and posts about it on social media. It seemed like this year, the world decided to take a pass on Earth Day. And to be fair, I totally understand why. But given that, I think it's worthwhile for us to remember that our actual Earth Day celebrations, the ones that happen each year on April 22nd, are just a symbol of something bigger. Respecting, caring, and honoring nature and our planet is something that runs much deeper, is more challenging, and is much more personal than just one day's festivities. Respecting and caring for the earth is about redefining our relationship with the land, about seeing ourselves as caretakers or stewards of nature rather than consumers of it. It's about embedding those values in our everyday actions, in the things we purchase, the way we look at our surroundings, and how we choose to live our lives. So even if you forgot that Earth Day was this week, or if you remembered but then felt guilty for not doing more, know that celebrating the Earth is something that can be done every day. It happens when we go for our daily walk through the park, while social distancing, of course. When we plant and harvest our gardens, whether they're on our balcony or in our yard, and it happens when we sit down to share a meal with someone else, either in person or over Zoom. Today on Midtown Bookshelf, we're going to celebrate the earth in a different way, through picture books. My name is Matthew Rappold, and welcome to the Earth Day edition of Midtown Bookshelf. Welcome to Midtown Bookshelf. Today our episode features picture books that celebrate our beautiful home, planet Earth. My name is Matthew Rappold, and I'm joined, as always, by our Midtown Bookshelf panelists, Serena McDermott. Hi, Serena. Hello. And Allison Dijak. Hi, Allison. Hello. How are you two doing this fine, beautiful, sunny spring day? Oh, we're doing all right. Yeah, I had uh, a little bit of a sleep in today, courtesy of my husband, who uh, was up with the baby at six this morning. So, yeah, I'm I'm savoring that extra time. Good, Allison. Do you have any plans for this beautiful spring day? Um, yeah, I think that I'll probably spend a little bit of time in the garden. It's um, it's looking like a nice sunny day out today. So, yeah, you know, take a little bit of time to work on some stuff, and uh, we have some new seeds that I think today might be a a good day to start planting them in our little little boxes inside. Well, today we're celebrating Mother Nature and all of the wonderful things that she gives us. And I'm wondering, given that we've all had to spend tons of time inside recently with this quarantine, what have you two been doing to maintain your connection with nature? Serena, what have you been up to? Well, I would say, you know, it's been an effort to try and maintain that connection to get outside especially with a new baby. There's only so much time in between, you know, feedings and naps and things, but we've been uh, making sure that we have the stroller right by the door. So it's a little bit easier for us to hop in and just get outside. And even if we can't get outside at that, at a certain time during the day, I do like to just sit by the window and we've been opening our windows to let in some breeze and 
just, you know, enjoying our, all the house plants that we have. What about you, Allison? Um, I have really been enjoying, uh, going for walks around the neighborhood and just loving all of the little flowers and spring blossoms that are coming up around everyone's houses. Um, we're really lucky in the neighborhood we live in. There's a lot of really wonderful gardeners. And so uh, every time we go for a walk, there's always a few new flowers that have opened up and shown their, shown their blossoms. So it's always just really fun to, you know, take a little bit of time to stop and pause and actually kind of peek around their garden a little bit. You know, it's easy to just kind of go for a walk and, you know, head down or head forward and not really take all the time that you need to look around. But I'm really trying to, uh, you know, give myself that extra time to maybe bend down, take a look, smell the flowers that are there. And uh, it's really nice. It's really relaxing and just brings me a little bit of joy in the day. Well, I've really enjoyed getting a chance to explore our neighborhood and Allison, we've been doing some walks and, and runs out into this, uh, this little park that's beside our house. And it's got a beautiful little stream there. It's got ducks that swim by every once in a while. There's a community garden that's beside it. And I've just really enjoyed having some time to, to walk and just to breathe the fresh air and to look at our surroundings and notice that there is nature even here in the middle of the city. And we're gonna kick off our Earth Day celebrations with a song that is about getting outside the city. This is Canadian artist Northern Chorus with the song, No Stations.
That was No Stations by Northern Chorus. You're joining us here on Midtown Bookshelf on Midtown Radio. Matt Rappel has brought a book with him that helps us to celebrate Earth Day. Which book have you brought today, Matt? Well, I brought the book The Busy Beaver by Nicholas Oldland. And this is a book that is, it it's, reminds us that it's important for us to take time. And even though sometimes it's good to be doing lots of different things and be so busy and have so many projects and jobs in the go, even if they're good projects, sometimes that can be too much. So this book reminds us that being with nature and celebrating the earth is about taking time to just relax sometimes and let those projects go. This is The Busy Beaver by Nicholas Oldland. There once was a beaver who was so busy that he didn't think things through. The beaver's carelessness was becoming a problem. His dams leaked and he always made a mess of the forest. He left trees half-chewed and worse, he felled more than he needed. But perhaps worst of all, the beaver went about his work with so little thought that a tree landed right on top of a bear. And once he even chewed a moose's leg thinking it was a tree. The beaver was just that careless. It was only a matter of time before something went terribly wrong. And sure enough, one day the beaver was so busy chewing on a tree that he failed to notice that it was falling in his direction. The beaver woke up with a bent tail, two broken limbs, three cracked ribs, four big bruises, five sprained sp fingers, six twisted toes, seven little cuts, eight stinging scratches, nine sore muscles, and ten nasty slivers. He had spent his entire life chewing, swimming, and building. He had never sat still for a second. Now he could barely scratch his nose. At first, all he could do was stare at the ceiling. But eventually, he was able to hobble over to the window. This was the first time he noticed his leaky dam, the mess of trees he had left half-chewed, and his friends, bandages, and even a family of homeless birds. And he realized that he had lots of work to do. So the next day, the beaver embarked on a rigorous rehabilitation program. And on this page, we see the beaver lifting weights, doing some yoga, doing a little light reading on how to build dams. We'll pick it back up on the next page. The beaver's friends were a little worried about his return to the forest. But despite their concerns, the beaver went straight to work. Before the beaver started his first project, he did a full tree inspection. He checked to see if there was any animals in harm's way and carried a frightened caterpillar to safety. Then the beaver went ahead and built the family of homeless birds a new nest. Next, the beaver apologized to his friends for causing so much damage. And to show that he meant it, he made the bear a vase for his den. And he built the canoe for the moose. The beaver's final task was to clean up the mess he had made in the forest. He hauled off the trees he had left half-chewed, used the broken branches to fix his leaky dam, and planted saplings to replace the trees he had felled. With the forest back in order, everyone was happier, 
including the beaver. His work done, the beaver got to thinking about what he might do next. He came up with lots of ideas as he got ready for bed that night. Maybe he would take a course on dam building, or start a band and go on tour, or take more naps. The beaver liked this idea the best. Being busy doing good work was exhausting. With a yawn, the beaver laid his head down on a soft bed of leaves and fell right to sleep. All that was left for the beaver to do was dream. And that's the end of The Busy Beaver by Nicholas Oldland. What did you think of that book? Wow, beautiful story. Really lovely. It's it's nice that it's kind of a mix of some lightheartedness, but also a, a serious, you know, serious topic to think about. That's really great. Yeah, I'd like to see the illustrations on that one because I think they would have added a lot to, uh, you know, see the different things that the beaver is up to in the pictures as well. That would be fun. Yeah, the illustrations are really are really great in this book. They're sort of vintage Canadiana. You can sort of picture mm-hmm. maybe some of the, the 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 pictures of the beaver and, and the moose and the bear sort of remind me of what you might see on like a postcard of Canada, like an, mm-hmm. a, a cartoon one. Um, and I really like the way that the author has used uh, split illustrations on the page. So he'll have three different illustrations. Mm-hmm. For example, when the beaver is doing yoga and weightlifting, it shows his entire rehabilitation program on the space of two pages. And there's like six different illustrations for it. It's a really great Thanks. book for illustrations. Thanks. That's fun. And I was wondering at the end of the book, so this the beaver has this newfound understanding of his actions and he's developed this empathy towards his fellow creatures. He's helped them. He's helped his friends and he's undertaken all of these good projects of restitution. Um, but then instead of doing uh, those good works and continuing on with them, he decides that his best, the best use of his time is to nap. What can readers take from that? Um, is that the right decision to relax and maybe take time for yourself instead of helping with those good, good works? And how can we relate that to um, caring for the earth and, and, and our actions towards the planet? Um, I think I really, I really like that it's kind of um, telling the readers that you need to make sure that you're taking care of yourself so that you can help others, right? Um, you know, their burnout is a really big thing uh, when you're putting a lot of effort into working on a project that you're really passionate about or helping others you know, it can be really easy to push yourself too much and then you're not in a state where you can help others anymore. So I think that's what I kind of related it to. You know, he put in a lot of this effort and he started making a change, but then realized that he needed to just take a little bit of a pause uh, to take care of himself for a bit so that he could, you know, be in good health to hop back in and continue on his, uh, his activism. I think you could look at it in an alternative way as well, though. You could say, you know, he set out to make a change and, you know, he was successful. He did some restoration and then he kind of, you know, maybe not got lazy, but, you know, got complacent, I guess would be a better word, um, and decided that that was enough for him. Um, So that would maybe be a lesson too, depending on, you know, what what message you need to take from this book, I think you could take it either way. You could take it as a message of we need to rest and take care of ourselves, or you could take it as a message of 
don't get complacent. You know, maybe if we're talking about this in the view of Earth Day, it's not enough. We could say it's not enough just to do Earth activities on one day. Don't just think, okay, I did my one day of Earth Day. Now it's fine for me to just nap until next Earth Day. So I, I don't think there's one right way to look at it, but that's another way that you could take the message of the book. Yeah, of course. Yeah, I can definitely empathize with the, with the beaver. I mean, I think a lot of times I think it's really important to overload myself and I feel like I should be doing so many things all the time. And they're all things that I think are worthwhile and are really good. But when you take on so many projects and start taking on so many things, sometimes, like you said, Serena, you can get complacent or you do things that are not, you don't do them to the, the, the in the best way or to the fullest that you maybe should. So I think that the, what the book is telling us is that it's really important for us to make sure that we um, control how much we take on and make sure that we're doing things um, in the best way that we can. We can maybe pick one thing or two things and do that in the best way we can. And then the rest of the time is taken for us so that we can ensure that we're holding ourselves accountable and holding ourselves um, in the best way. And when it comes to Earth Day, I think that's the same way. It's really important for us to make a connection with the land and make a connection with the with other people and, and with um, with nature. And we don't always have to be doing things. I feel like sometimes in in our society, we always measure good, good, uh, goodness by how much we get done and production. Um, but we it's not always about that. It's about relationships sometimes. And I think at the end of the story, the beaver has mended the relationships with the land and mended the relationships with the moose and the bear. And then he's able to say, you know what, that was good. That was good enough. And so he's able to take time for himself. Have you ever had a situation where you felt like you've taken on too much? <laughs> oh, yeah. you mean like my whole life? <laughs> 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 yeah. I, I mean, I, I liked what you said, Matt, about um, sort of thinking about what does it mean to be busy? Does it mean just like filling all your time and packing it full of stuff and just getting things done. And I think in this book, they really have equated busyness with sort of this carelessness. And I, that's not necessarily what busyness is. Um, you know, busyness can be measured in different ways. And maybe you want to think about time spent with yourself, time doing nothing as part of your busyness. I know for some people, they need to schedule in and uh, blocks of time to spend with themselves, blocks of time for downtime. And that is, you know, when they look at their calendar, they say, yep, I'm busy. What I'm busy with is, you know, that restoration and um, healing myself, but it, it is time that I am busy. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I've, uh, I've been really working this year to try to sometimes I'm also I overload my schedule with plans with friends and commitments to lots of different groups that I'm involved in. And I've been trying to be more intentional about saying no, um, but not always feeling like I have to give a reason, you know, it I I don't have to do something or I don't have to be unavailable simply because I have another activity. You know, you can choose to say, no, I, I just can't, I can't help with this. And it doesn't have to be because I'm not available at that time or, you know, I'm not able to make it. I can just not want to do it because I know that it will be too much. Right. And that's a really hard mind shift, uh, to kind of get used to, but I've been personally trying to really take that on, um, you know, saying no to things, but not feeling bad about it. And just realizing that I kind of, you know, I know that if I do that extra activity, 
it will be too much. Like, yes, I physically could do it and be there, but I know that it would be too much for me. Like Matt said, it's about you thinking about where we direct our energies and maybe limiting what we're doing to improve the quality of what we're doing elsewhere. Yeah, exactly. For sure. And you know what? If you're looking for something or, or somewhere to take some time for yourself, a great place to do that is by taking a walk into a forest. Mm-hmm. And the next song that we have is called Playing in the Forest. And it's by the band I the Mountain. And it's all about taking that time for yourself out in nature. Here's Playing in the Forest by I the Mountain. Take your time, take your time. Let the fires 
and the force burn brightly. Take your time, take your time. Let the grass and the soil burn tightly. Take your time, take your time. Let the fires and the force burn brightly. Take your time, take your time. Joey sits down by the barn, waiting for a sign from God. Shouldn't have ventured in the forest, my boy. The wilderness lies by the shore. Away from here, the foxes roar. Take your time, you'll get it. Is fun. You just heard the song Playing in the Forest by local Kitchener band I the Mountain. Today on Midtown Bookshelf, we are celebrating Earth Day. And Allison, you've brought in a book about Earth Day. Yeah, so today I brought in Wangari's Trees of Peace, a true story from Africa, written and illustrated by Jeanette Winter. So this book is actually, like I said, a true story. It's based on the life of Wangari Matai, who was a renowned Kenyan socialist. Uh, so I don't want to give too much away uh, because the story does kind of go through her life, but I'll give a little bit of background about Wangari. So she was born in Nyeri, a rural area in Kenya in 1940. And in the late 60s, she got a scholarship to actually study in America and studied there for six years, earning a Master of Science degree. And when she returned home, that's when her real work began, which we will hear about in the book today. So without further ado, here is Wangari's Trees of Peace, written and illustrated by Jeanette Winter. Wangari lives under an umbrella of green trees in the shadow of Mount Kenya in Africa. She watched the birds in the forest where she and her mother go to gather firewood for cooking. And she helps harvest the sweet potatoes, sugarcane, and maize from the rich soil. Wangari shines in school and when she grows tall like the trees in the forest, she wins a scholarship to study in America. Six years later, her studies over, Wangari returns to her Kenya home and sees a change. What happened? She wonders. Where are the trees? Wangari sees women bent from hauling firewood miles and miles from home. She sees barren lands where no crops grow. And where are the birds? Thousands of trees have been cut down to make room for buildings, but no one has planted new trees to take their place. Will all of Kenya become a desert? She wonders as her tears fall. Wangari thinks about the barren land. 
I can begin to replace some of the lost trees here in my backyard, one tree at a time. She starts by planting nine seedlings. Watching the seedlings take root gives Wangari the idea to plant more, to start a farm for baby trees, a nursery. In an open space, she plants row after row of the tiny trees. Next, Wangari convinces the village women that planting trees is a good thing. She gives each one a seedling. Our lives will be better when we have trees again. You'll see, we are planting the seeds of hope. So to skip ahead a little bit in the book, uh, the women continue to plant more and more trees, even in spite of a lot of men in the community telling them that they won't be able to as they are not trained foresters. And Wangari even begins to pay them a small amount of money when they keep trees alive for three months. Word begins to travel and soon more women in neighboring villages are planting trees too. And we pick back up here. But the cutting continues. Wangari stands tall as an oak to protect the old trees still remaining. We need a park more than we need an office tower, she says. The government men disagree. Wangari blocks their way, so they hit her with clubs. They call her a troublemaker and put her in jail. And still, she stands tall. Right is right, even if you're alone. And then this is one of the images in the book that is my favorite. Um, we see uh, a picture of Wangari in a little jail cell, um, but then it's kind of a view from the outside. And so on the outside, we see all of these women that are planting different trees in different areas around her. But Wangari is not alone. Talk of the trees spreads all over Africa like ripples in Lake Victoria. The umbrella of green in Kenya returns. Women walk tall with their backs straight. For now, they can gather firewood much closer to home. The land is no longer barren. Sweet potatoes, sugarcane, and maize grow from the rich red earth. The whole world hears of Wangari's trees and of her army of women who planted them. And if you were to climb to the very top of Mount Kenya today, you would see the millions of trees growing below you and the green Wangari brought back to Africa. So that's the end of the book, but I wanted to give a little bit more information about the life of Wangari Matai because she was such an exceptional woman. This is a really fantastic story. I'm curious, Matt or Serena, have you ever heard of of uh, Wangari Matai or her stories at all? No, no. I, I haven't heard of Wangari Matai at all, actually. Yeah, this was, this was new for me as well. I was just searching up uh, books about Earth Day and this one came up. Um, so Wangari actually went on to earn a PhD from the University of Nairobi, where she also taught veterinary anatomy. And she was actually the first woman in Central and East Africa to earn a doctorate degree. 
and she was also the first woman to become an associate professor and department chair at the university in the late 70s. And one of her most long-standing accomplishments was starting the Green Belt Movement, which works with communities to better understand and take care of their environments by planting trees, which as we saw in the book then translates to protecting the watersheds, creating more fertile soil, creating resources for food and firewood, and also generating income for the community. And the organization also has a really large focus on supporting women in these roles and creating these roles as sources of income for the women in the community. So Professor Matai really made her mark on the world, including earning a Nobel Peace Prize. Um, sadly, she passed away in 2011 due to cancer, but she certainly evoked a lot of change in her lifetime. Um, so what did you guys think of this story um, in, in picture book form? Very inspiring. Um, I actually sort of had a question about this this mm -hmm. format for inspiring people. Um, I think one of the intentions of authors when they write books like this about really um, inspirational figures who have done great things for the world, I, mm -hmm. I imagine that part of the hope is to you know, inspire children to feel that they can do the same, um, to see, hopefully see themselves in the figure of the book and say, oh, okay, well, she was able to make this change. She was able to do it. So I could too. And I just, yeah. I just wondered, like, for you guys growing up, is that something that you felt reading these books? Did you read books like this and feel empowered? Or did you feel more like, you know, this is someone who has done something that's like outside of my reach? Like, what was it like for you guys to read books like this? And do you think authors can do something to make their books more accessible, make their characters mm -hmm. more accessible? Um, I think that I like that in most of these stories, they always kind of start with it being something small. Um, and I think that can be really inspiring for children. You know, in this book, Wangari planted nine trees in her backyard. Um, and that is something, I mean, people could plant one tree in their backyard and that would make a difference. You know, when she started visiting the other women in her community, she gave them one seedling. And if they were able to keep that one seedling alive for three months, she gave them like a little bit of money. Um, so I like that it always starts with a small idea Mm -hmm. um, I think the tricky thing is then, you know, the the hero in the story, the person that it's about, uh, they do kind of take it to that next level. And I think that's maybe where mm -hmm. it can become difficult, you know, like the busy beaver, that's where a lot of people might stop, right? They, they plant the one tree or they plant the nine trees and they think, yeah, I've made my difference, you know, that's good. But um, I think that next level of making it big and becoming you know, known as a hero is kind of the tricky part. <laughs> yeah, I think that, I mean, growing up, I didn't read a whole lot of these type of books, but I was always really inspired by fictional characters. And I definitely, um, you know, I tried to emulate them. That's the reason why I started playing drums. And that's the reason why I started doing writing and things like that, because I wanted to be like the heroes that I saw in my, in, in the books that I read. So I think there is something really powerful about presenting a character that is, 
you know, a hero or that kids can relate to or try to emulate in their actions. But I do also think that, you know, it can be hard to feel like you have to fill the shoes of that person, you know, and, and definitely, I mean, especially when I read about the actions of, that people are taking now when I'm older, I think, wow, that person has done so much. And here I am, you know, just living my life in Kitchener and, um, you know, it can be it, it can be sort of defeating a little bit to feel like you um, haven't been able to make the same sort of change. But I think for a child, though, I think it is really inspiring because they have their whole lives ahead of them. They can really imagine their lives and create that life. And and, and it's inspiring for them to see the, what people are able to do with that with that life. Mm-hmm. I think something that really sticks with me is maybe not necessarily all of the things that they did and all that they accomplished, but um, kind of the mindset or motto that they lived by. Um, I remember as a teenager, uh, one summer when I was at camp, uh, kind of the theme that my counselors had made for the week was be the change you want to see in the world. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, the classic uh, Gandhi quote. Um, And that quote has really stuck with me a lot. You know, I'm never going to accomplish everything that Gandhi accomplished. Um, but that motto and that kind of way of thinking has really impacted what I've done. And the quote that I really liked from this book um, was when Mangari is in jail. It says, um, right is right if you're alone. So I feel mm-hmm. like uh, we may not be able to accomplish everything that Wangari accomplishes in, accomplished in her life. We can think of the message that she's trying to stand behind. Right is right, even if you're alone. Like that's a motto that I think could stick with children and can stick with adults that uh, we can try to, um, you know, we can try to use in our life to make the right choices, right? Allison, yeah. thank you for sharing that exceptional story about that incredible person. Um, do you have a song that's going to go with this book? Yeah. So I was trying to think about, you know, a really classic Earth Day song about thinking what we have and, and is all around us. And this one also went really well with the theme of, you know, protecting our forests. So here is a Canadian classic, Big Yellow Taxi by Joni Mitchell. a parking lot with a pink hotel a boutique and a swinging hot spot don't it always seem to go that you don't know what you've got till it's gone the cave paradise put up a parking lot A dollar and a half just to see them Don't it always seem to go That you don't know what you've got till it's gone They pay paradise, put up a parking lot Hey farmer, farmer, put away the DDT now Give me spots on my apples Or leave me the birds and the bees 
that you don't know what you've got till it's gone. They paid paradise, put up a parking lot. Late last night, I heard the screen door slam. And a big yellow taxi took away my old man. But you don't know what you've got till it's gone. You pay paradise, put up a parking lot. I said, don't it always seem to go? But you don't know what you've got till it's gone. They pay paradise, put up a parking lot. They pay paradise, put up a parking lot. <laughs> you just heard Big Yellow Taxi, a Canadian classic by Joni Mitchell. Here on Midtown Bookshelf today, we are celebrating Earth Day, April 22nd, this past week. Serena, you brought in an Earth Day book for us. Tell us about your book. I did. I brought in a book that's sort of lighthearted. I thought it would be maybe a fun one to finish off our Earth Day celebration with. Um, it's written by Maureen Wright and illustrated by Violet Kim. And this book is about a little monkey who has a very special day. This book is called Earth Day Birthday. Deep within the jungle green, the biggest lion ever seen stood before his friends and said, Happy Earth Day. Deep within the jungle green, the silliest monkey ever seen swung upon a branch and said, it's not Earth Day, it's my birthday. The elephant shook her wrinkled head and stomped her foot like a bag of lead. She turned to Monkey and loudly said, It's Earth Day, not your birthday. Let's plant a row of tiny trees, plow a garden for beans and peas, grab a shovel, get a hoe, hurry up, it's time to go. Deep within the jungle green, the silliest monkey ever seen, twirled his tail and proudly said, It's not Earth Day, it's my birthday. The lumpy, bumpy crocodile watched the monkey for a while. He answered with a toothy smile, It's Earth Day, not your birthday. Let's pick up papers off the ground. There's tons of litter, look around. Collect the garbage that you see, stick it in a bag for me. Deep within the jungle green, the silliest monkey ever seen ate a banana and proudly said, It's not Earth Day, it's my birthday. The tall giraffe complained, Oh dear, I see we have a problem here. Let me make this very clear. It's Earth Day, not your birthday. We'll do our part to clean the land, recycle bottles, glasses, cans, Come on, my friends, I'll lead the way. Let's recycle every day. Now the story continues as we encounter a hippo who suggests that on this Earth Day, we should use cloth bags. And we see a snake who suggests that we could be using a compost bin. And then we encounter a lion. And our monkey, he whispers in the lion's ear, don't you know my birthday's here? Lion roared, give me a break. I've heard all that I can take. No matter what we do or say, you think it is your special day. But it is, said Monkey. Can't you see? Here's my mom with a cake for me. 
The lion gasped. <gasps> I've made a mistake. Oh, please share your yummy birthday cake. Of course, said Monkey with a shrug. But first, I'll blow the candles out. Then all the animals yelled, hooray. It's Monkey's birthday and Earth Day. <laughs> and that was Earth Day birthday. Oh, what a great book. Yeah, that's, that's so, so cute. lovely. <laughs> Just a, a fun little book. So this one was published uh, back in 2012, which, you know, is, is eight years ago now. So it's a bit on the older side. And through the book, we see the animals engaged in all these different Earth Day activities. We have compost bins and cloth bags and recycling, planting trees, like sort of the, the traditional ones that we think of. Um, I was wondering, what, as you guys were hearing this book, were there any other types of activities that you were wishing that were featured? Or do you think that since 2012, there's new activities that benefit the Earth that we could maybe have included? Um, one thing that I've noticed that has come up a lot more um, and that I'm trying to be a little bit more intentional with is, um, you know, buying things secondhand. Mm -hmm. I think that, you know, as more and more things are being manufactured and produced in our world, uh, it's important to think about how we can be reusing things, you know, the reduce, reuse, recycle. I feel like we do the recycling and we do the reducing, but that reuse one is sometimes uh, sometimes overlooked a little bit. Um, so I know that there's a few um, clothing stores that I follow that have really tried to uh, emphasize, you know, upcycling clothing and this uh, kind of uh, slow fashion instead of fast fashion, you know, trying to make sure you're buying from places that are ethical and, um, you know, sourced properly. And instead of just, you know, buying new things and, and throwing them out after a year. And there was another book that I almost chose that was based on that topic that was called My Forever Dress. So if you're interested in that, that might be a good one to uh, check out. And yeah. what were your thoughts, Matt? I thought that um, one thing that they might do would be planting a garden. I mean, there's been so much focus recently on the idea of food security and buying food from local uh, farmers that I thought planting a garden would be good. You can get get all your uh, all your food from your little community garden plot or from a local uh, garden in your own community. So I thought that might be one that they would they might do. Yeah, um, I thought maybe that like encouraging eating more vegetables too, like focusing more on a plant-based diet could be a good one because that definitely has sort of risen into our uh, collective consciousness here about the importance of that. Mm -hmm. So that maybe is one. Um, and so that's something I think that kids maybe have a little more control over. They don't always have say in whether or not they can plant trees in their backyard, but mm -hmm. they probably have a bit of say about what's on the dinner table. I can tell you that that would be that would be a, a hilarious picture book of like I don't know like a giraffe trying to convince a lion to eat a plant-based diet. I'm sure there's a picture book out there for that. Yeah, I love that. And then I was also thinking about like with um, Greta Thunberg. Is that her her name? I think. Yeah. Um, the climate activist, the young woman who's been advocating, I think, since she was 14. Mm -hmm. um, for for more attention on climate change. I think she's a really great example of how, you know, using our voices 
to kind of refocus attention on climate issues is so important. So that's maybe another activity that I would have loved to see the animals doing is maybe like participating in a protest or making signs or something. Cause I think we're now realizing what an impact those activities can have too. And that's yeah. something that kids can do for sure. Yeah. And I feel like the age of, uh, age of people getting involved is getting younger and younger, you know, as, uh, young people are getting exposed more to the media and the news um, and just being online more. I feel like, you know, when we were in high school, we were like kind of informed about issues around us. But I feel like high school students nowadays are becoming a lot of, you know, the change makers and they're mm -hmm. the ones going to protests and they're the ones starting up new, new projects. So I think um, that's been a really big shift in the last couple of years that just people that are younger and younger are getting involved and making their voice heard, which is amazing. And I think especially yeah. since Earth Day is so rooted in our schools, like I talked uh, in the intro a little bit about how it feels a little bit like we didn't get to celebrate Earth Day this year. And a big part of that is because so many Earth Day things happen within the school community. That's like the primary driver of like Earth Day activities, you know, schools doing like picking up litter or whatever the whatever the activities are. Um, so I think you're right. It's not even just like high school students. It's also like kindergarten students are doing Earth Day projects or maybe not even Earth Day. Kindergarten students are doing Earth Care projects or learning about that stuff and are, are, are involved in understanding what climate change is, uh, is about. Um, yeah, I, I feel like uh, with all of the, the COVID closures, it's kind of showing us the power of community. Um, you know, I feel like Earth Day, like exactly what Matt was saying, it's something that is um, a lot of action is taken at schools and, you know, different neighborhoods and community groups will kind of start different projects, you know, a, a neighborhood uh, litter cleanup day or something like that. And so I feel like um, it's amazing to see the power of community and, and what people can do when they're in a group, you know, when we're all isolated in our own homes, I feel like a lot of us didn't really take action because um, it's so easy to do something when you see that there's an event organized or you see people around you doing it. But when you're kind of stuck alone, it's a lot harder to take action. So I'm, uh, I'm looking forward to when we're able to gather in community again to get some of those initiatives, uh, initiatives going again. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so this book is, uh, I would say, geared towards maybe like three to seven-year-olds, a little bit mm -hmm. younger. Um, one of the main features of the book that we see is a lot of this repetition. We hear about the the jungle green over and over again. I was wondering if you guys had any comments on that repetition. Did you enjoy it? Do you see it as a benefit to the text? Is there any drawback to it? I just think as a teacher, I love when books have that repetition in it because it makes it so much fun to read to kids because you can get them involved in it. As soon as the second or third time that that repetition happens, the students know or the kids know that line and they're way, almost waiting for it to come back and they can't wait to jump in. So it makes it a really great device to use in picture books and children's books because it keeps the kids engaged. They're looking for that repetition to come back again. And also it helps them remember the story after the book is over. Yeah, exactly. I was going to say it's definitely makes it more memorable. You know, what person can't spout out a line from a Robert Munch book or, you know, a Dr. Seuss book or something that has that repetition in it? I just feel like it makes it more memorable. 
And when we can add that repetition in books that have a really great message as well, like, you know, all the Earth Day initiatives that the animals are taking, that's even better, you know, that you can make a book with a great message uh, to be a really memorable one for kids. I think that was a great, a great thing that the author chose to do. Mm -hmm. So I think that's just good for you to um, highlight for our listeners is that as an adult, sometimes if you're reading this book, you might think, oh, this book's kind of boring. They like say the same thing over and over again. <laughs> but when you add in a little dramatic flair and you realize that this can increase the involvement that kids can have in the reading, it's actually a real asset for a lot of books. I think it also yeah, allows the reader a chance to express, it gets, gets them into uh, a more dramatic mindset. You know, when you, you can use like your, your vocal intonation to make each repetition sound a little bit different or to build that dramatic tension even farther. Because chances are, I mean, a lot of times if something's being repeated, it's because it's something that's really important for the book. And so you can find a way to make to emphasize that with the way you're reading it as well. Well, I brought a song with me here that I think you know, it has a bit of an Earth Day theme and it is just a fun song. Uh, this song is by the Calgary-based band Reuben and the Dark, and it is called Bow and Arrow. I hope you enjoy. Stars we go over the mountains 
You just heard the song Bone Arrow by Canadian band Ruben in the Dark. That brings us to the end of our Earth Day celebrations here on Midtown Bookshelf. Thank you so much for joining us. Today, you heard me read the, the story Busy Beaver by Nicholas Oldland. You also heard Alison Dijak read the story Wangari's Trees of Peace, written and illustrated by Jeanette Winter. And Serena McDermott read the story Earth Day Birthday by Maureen Wright. You can catch the next episode of Midtown Bookshelf on a special time, Friday, May 1st, as a part of the May Day Radio Telethon in support of the Food Bank of Waterloo Region. We'll also be rebroadcasting on Sunday at our usual time, and our theme will be all about our local community. Thanks for tuning in, and until next time, keep reading. Ooh.